It is officially my favorite time of the year. I love the holidays, and in my mind, and I know, I know some people are going to argue with me, and, and I'll even concede a little bit, man. We'll, we'll count Halloween into the holiday season. I accept that. But November 1st to me is the holiday season. You go into the mornings are a little bit cold. The leaves are changing colors. There's that chill in the air. Time change happens. For all you basic white for all you basic white girls, man, there's pumpkin spice everything. And it truly is an awesome time of the year. I don't know. I just get in that mode. I, I remember when Christine and I first got together, she was not a holiday person. And we had to get that situated. Because, man, I love the holidays. I love Christmas. We've got a guy coming to our house this Tuesday to put our Christmas lights up. That's how bougie we are. I say, put your own Christmas lights up. I'm not putting my own Christmas lights up. I don't do heights. I don't do tools. I don't do anything that involves having to use your brain in that type of manner because it doesn't function for me. It's cheaper for me to pay someone than have to pay the counseling bill that Christine and I would have to go through if I chose to hang up Christmas lights at my house. I'm mad right now in my house, actually, because next Sunday, somehow, our house became a place for a baby shower, and apparently baby showers have themes. I didn't know they had themes. And because it was a fall baby shower, the theme is pumpkins, and because we're basic white people, our house is currently decorated with pumpkins, and so because it's currently decorated with pumpkins and there's a baby shower this Sunday, that means this week Christmas decorations can't go up, and I'm irritated about it. It's been a bone of contention in the Lamb House. I love Christmas. But as much as I love Christmas, Thanksgiving is my favorite. I love Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a big deal. To me, it was a big deal when I was growing up. And it became a big deal when Christine and I got together. And at our house, it's just a non-negotiable. And we're doing Thanksgiving. Nobody has to come. But we're doing Thanksgiving at our house. And we open our home up to everybody every year. And every year there's 30 to 50 people there. We tell people here at the church, if you have nowhere to go, come to our house. Our friends invite their friends. When the family's talking to us, they come. And there's just always a ton of people at our house. We open up our house for everyone at Thanksgiving. I love it. Football's on the TV. There's food everywhere. Now, this was new to me when I got into Christine's family because I came from a family of addicts, so they were all clean and on the wagon. But lots of alcohol gets consumed at our house on Thanksgiving. And it's just a fun time. I love Thanksgiving. Everybody just seems for one day to put their differences off to the side. And there's just something powerful about sharing a meal together. I don't know what it is, but when you're sitting around the table and you're breaking bread, connection happens. Community happens. Authenticity happens. I simply love it. We love it so much, actually, that this past year we turned our sunroom, we have a sunroom on the back of our house, And we actually took everything out of our sunroom and we turned it into a huge dining room. We never used the sunroom. 
It had a couch in it. had some plants in it. It was kind of a waste to us. We had a small dining room at the front of our house, and we wanted a big dining room where we could have more people into our home. And so we made the... Actually, let's rephrase that. We didn't really make the decision. I learned a valuable lesson. Let me actually tell you this. I learned an expensive lesson. Laying in bed one night about to go to sleep. I simply said this. Well, to turn that sunroom into a dining room, we could have more people in our house. Thousands of dollars later. Like literally the next day, thousands of dollars later. The sunroom was a dining room. All the plants had been moved and the couches had been moved. And apparently, you have to have different decorations for a dining room than you do a sunroom. Who knew? Right? And then apparently, if you have a bigger dining room, you have to have a bigger table. So my wife got a table custom made for the room. I have a picture of the table. It's massive. Leave that up there, Zan. That's my favorite room in our house. I love that table. It holds about 14 to 16 people. It's a massive room. And here's the funny thing. Our actual in-home family has become smaller. Our two oldest kids are, are now in college and they've moved out. So we're not even a family of six anymore. We're a family of four. And then we have a 16-year-old daughter who's chasing her career goals and an apprenticeship. And so she's never there and has a boyfriend now. So like, we actually had to implement a restriction this week that one day a week you eat dinner with us. So we're not even a family of six anymore. We're not really a family of four at dinner time. We've really become a family of three. And then Luke has football practice every single night. We only have him every other week. So in a lot of ways, we're only a family of two on a regular basis. So it didn't really make sense as our family was shrinking to make that much bigger of a table. But it was important to us. Because we love gathering around the table and doing life with people. Now I know what you're saying, Gary, I thought you hated people. I do. (laughs) I do. But I decided that if I have to be around people... I want them in my house, on my terms. We had a bunch of people over Wednesday night. This is how you know you got the right people over. You ready? They come over. Christine cooks a huge Italian meal. We break bread together. They all decide to keep hanging out. That's cool. I have now ate, I have now socialized, and I am now done with you people. But I have learned in 10 years of marriage that my wife has told me it is rude to tell people they need to leave. So I transitioned a few years ago from saying you have to leave. Hey, what time are you guys leaving? Thought that was a question, thought it was valid. She said, they know what you mean. Don't do that. So I don't do that anymore. So now literally while they hang out, I went over to the couch, put my pillow up next to me, and I just went to sleep. I woke up as they were leaving. That's good friends that don't get mad when you just go to sleep. Now, I expect later on my wife to be like, that's rude too. But baby steps. Baby steps. But it was awesome on a Wednesday night to have people over gathered around our table. 
It's my favorite room in the house. Like I said, I mean, more than any room in our house, life happens in that room. Conversations happen in that room. Meals are shared in that room. Stories are told in that room. It doesn't matter how much that table cost. It doesn't matter that I was not brought into the loop on that table being custom built. It doesn't matter that I wasn't told ahead of time how much the table was going to cost or how big the table was going to be. I'm not bitter. That table is paid for itself in memories over and over in just one year. Life happens around that table. Laughs happen around that table. Deep conversations have happened around that table. It it sounds funny to say, but I love that table. I love it. And as I was thinking about that table recently, because apparently also I didn't know this about tables. See that thing in the middle, what's that called, Christine? Adobo. A bowl. I don't know what it is. It's a bowl. But apparently everything that goes into that bowl has to change with the seasons. So financially, it's the gift that keeps on giving. I had wrestling here Friday night. I'm putting on an event. McCall, Christine, she said, oh, we're going into Hobby Lobby. Missy and I are going to Hobby Lobby. I didn't really think anything about it. I should have thought about it because if your wife ever says she's going into Hobby Lobby, you can count on money as being spent. A couple of hours later, listen to what I'm telling you. A couple of hours later, I had a down moment. I knew she was bringing Luke down. I was trying to get a timeline of what was going to happen. I said, hey, what are you doing? Like like I'm stupid or something. We're at Hobby Lobby. You were at Hobby Lobby two hours ago. I've got to get Christmas stuff for the bowl. So as fast as I make it, that table takes it. But I love that table. And it got me thinking about that table and I was thinking about one day I was just sitting there and I was thinking about the life that happens around that table and I know this sounds really weird. I got to thinking about the parallels between that table and Action Church. And there's a lot of similarities. In many ways, in our walk, in our faith, the local church, I don't know about other local churches, but for Action Church, this is the table in our Christian life. Community happens here. And laughs happen here. And life happens here. And tears happen here. And transparency happens here. Now, I know that's not normal in church for there to be honest transparency, but at Action Church, we don't know that we're supposed to keep our crazy hidden. We flaunt it on the front porch. Or we share it around the table. And I was thinking about the series that we've done. In November, if you know anything about church patterns, November is the least attended month of the year for church. People are getting busy. They're not 
They're not really looking for church. So normally it's insiders, for lack of a better word. I thought it'd be a great time just to step back amidst of all the craziness that has been going on and just get refocused on what makes Action Church Action Church. I tell people all the time, Action Church is different than other churches. I didn't say it's better than other churches. I didn't say Action Church is right and other churches are wrong. I just simply said Action Church is different in what we do. Our focus is different. Our vision is different. It's not our goal to be the biggest church in town. If God chooses to make us the biggest church in town, it's not like we're going to send anyone away. But it's not what we're focused on. We're not focused on having the prettiest building in town, and there's nothing wrong. I think, man, I'm jealous of these churches that have the prettiest buildings around. Really, I'm not, because I just think it'd be a lot of upkeep. But it's different. We don't really worry about things that other people worry about. I remember about six, seven months ago, we thought we were losing this property. And people were like, what are we going to do? I said, I'm not really worried about it. What do you mean? What are we going to do? We'll figure something out. And I meant it. I, I literally said, if we have to go set up in a tent, then we'll just meet in a tent. And this crowd wouldn't flinch about that. Not the building that makes this group. Definitely not the finances that make this place. Finances are probably tighter than they've ever been. But I think what makes this church unique is the fact that, man, in many ways, it's the table. Life happens here. It's funny, it's really not a stretch to talk about the local church in context of a table. Actually, if you were to go look throughout the Bible, the Bible talks 72 different times about a table. About a table in our Christian walk. In the Old Testament, you had the, the table of showbread, which was in the temple. And there was bread in it, on it always, and it kind of represented God fulfilling our spiritual hunger. Psalms 23, 5, David said, God set a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Think about that. In the midst of those who hate us, he set a table, a place where you can sit down and do life and get nourishment right in the presence of your enemies. God set a table out there for you. The Bible talks over and over and over about the term table. If you go to the New Testament, I'm sure Jesus, he was a carpenter. He built many tables. I don't think it's a stretch to say that. And then think about this. I think one of the most poignant scenes in all the Bible is the Last Supper right before Christ gives his life. And Jesus and the men who devoted their lives to following him are reclined around a what? A table sharing a meal, and breaking bread. There's just something powerful about a table. The Bible says when we get to heaven, we'll have a forever feast at the table of the Lord. There's so much imagery found in a table. And I've been thinking, what do we make Action Church like, and what do we compare it to? Because, man, it is just a little bit different And I think I always want you to have that imagery of it's a table. 
Because a lot of things happen at a table, and that's what we're going to talk about over the next month. It, it sounds really weird, but I was thinking about our table, and I was thinking about our room, and I was thinking about some things, and why we don't have these things written out. We have an unwritten code, if you will, at the Lamb House about our table. There's just some principles that we live by when it comes to our table. Now, here's the funny thing about that. You would think that's not a big deal, that we have some rules, if you will. I don't like that word, rules. Imagine that. That we have some principles about our table. But we've actually had some people, especially family members, get upset about the principles that we have at our table. But the principles are unwavering. The principles that we have for the table are not open for discussion. They're not open for compromise. Our house, our room, our table, take it or leave it. As a church, there's some principles that are open for discussion around here. There's some things around here that we can discuss. There's some things that we can debate. There's some things we cannot see eye to eye on. And that's okay. But there's some things that are just not open for discussion. Because those things are what make this table this table. Those things are what makes Action Church Action Church. I'm not saying you have to like those things. But I'm telling you, if you think those things are changing, then we're simply not the table for you. I'll be glad to help you find another table to sit at. I have always joked that other churches in town ought to look at me as a missionary and bring me on staff because I send more people to their churches than they bring to their churches. There's a church in Woodstock. I love that church. Man, I love that pastor. He's one of my favorite people in all the world. And I guarantee you 50% of that congregation at one time attended here. I tell them all the time, I say, man, I send you some new people. He said, you sent them? I said, well, I didn't really send them. They just left, but they're headed your way. And that's okay. I get it's not the table for everyone. But it's funny as I listed those principles for our table, it's funny how they paralleled the principles we have here. So I just want to refresh your memory over some things, and we're going to back them up with the Bible. But the first principle is this, because I think it's that important. I want you to understand something. Everyone is welcome at the table. Let me repeat that. Everyone is welcome at the table. I love this about our table. Again, we built this massive table at a time when our home was shrinking. But we built it because everyone's welcome at the table. We're that house. We're that house where we have two kids that currently live and we never just have two kids at the house. We're that house where we have one teenage daughter, but somehow there's always five or six teenage daughters in the house. And now these dumb teenage daughters have teenage boyfriends. And it'd be a cold day in hell before they're at their house. So now all the boyfriends are at our house. 
and they're all welcome. And here's the thing about that. That seems like a logical thing, does it not? Seems like a common sense thing, does it not? But you'd be amazed how many people get upset at this principle. Christine actually has family members who will not come to our house on Thanksgiving for many reasons, but one of the reasons they stated is, and you people just invite anybody to Thanksgiving. Yeah. Anybody. Because everyone's welcome at the table. Everyone deserves a table to sit at. Everybody deserves a place to get nourishment. Everybody deserves a place to get rest. Everybody deserves a place to do life with other people. Everybody deserves a group of people to laugh with. We were not created to do life alone. We were created to do life with others. Matter of fact, God is creating the world on the first day he created this and the second day he created that. And he spoke it into existence the day and the night and the heavens and the earth and the land and the sea and the animals and everything. And then he created man and he looked at man and said, it's not good for man to be alone. It's the first thing God created. He looked at it and didn't say it was good. He actually said, it's not good. I made this man and he's not made to be alone. We're made for relationships. I like to joke around a lot that, man, I'm a loner and I don't need friends and I don't need people. But the reality is I have people in my life. I have group texts that begrudgingly I'm part of, but if I wasn't begrudgingly part of it, I would miss it. I have phone calls that I get that uh, frustrate me. I don't have time to take them, but they call and they check up on me and I do life with people. I have a pastor friend in South Georgia that every Sunday morning is going to call me. Sometimes it's for 10 seconds. This morning it was about 10 minutes. Every Sunday morning he's going to call me. Made life for other people. You've heard me say it a thousand times. I've said it so much and now Bubba steals it in his post and gets all this crap. That's a great analogy. But I'm saying that sucker stole that from me. But you've heard me say it. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. I'll start calling Bubba out when he don't give me credit for stuff. Trying to, he's trying to act all smart. Now, Bubba's smart, but don't be stealing my stuff. I got the stage on Sunday. Everyone's welcome at the table. We wanted a place at our home that was a place for everyone. We didn't build that table because we needed that table. That table was not a need. In our kitchen is a, is it called a breakfast nook? And we have a four-seated table there. At the front of our house, we have a small dining room, and it had a table that holds six people. We didn't need that table. But we wanted that table. Because we wanted a place for everyone. Let me make this very clear to you. Canton didn't need another church when we started Action Church. I haven't looked in a few years, but I remember a few years ago I looked, there was 967. Hear what I'm telling you. 967 churches in Cherokee County. You can't throw a rock without hitting a church. You can't pull into a shopping center without there being a church. 
You can't pull into a school without a church meeting there. The mill is a brand new development. It has two churches that meet in it. There's churches everywhere. We need another church in this county like we need a hole in the head. Canton didn't need another church 11 years ago, 12 years ago, ever how many years it's been when we started Action Church. It didn't need a place that was playing rock and roll music. They exist everywhere. It didn't need a place where the preacher wears blue jeans and you don't got to get dressed up. Those are everywhere. It didn't need a place that had a building that didn't feel like a church. Guess what? Those are everywhere. That's the new traditional. There's nothing special about that. But let me tell you what it did need and what we wanted it to be. It needed a place, meaning our county needed a place that was all about Jesus. That did not care about denominationalism. That did not care about traditionalism. They did not care about how everything had always been done. It needed a place where you didn't know, need to know the secret handshake to get in. It needed a place where you were welcome wherever you are in life. Don't believe in God? Welcome. Don't believe there is a God? Welcome. Been in your faith 30 years? Welcome. Brand new Christian? Welcome. Maturing in your faith? Welcome. Don't even know if you believe there is a God? Welcome. It needed a place like that. Got hurts? Welcome. Got habits? Welcome. Got hang-ups? Welcome. Broke? Welcome. Busted? Welcome. Disgusted? Welcome. It needed a place where people could come in and at their own time and their own speed know they were loved right where they were. Not that we had intentions of changing them, not because we wanted to get them plugged in, not because we wanted something from them, but because we simply wanted them to know, hey, here's a table and you're welcome here and I don't care how how long it takes for you to decide to be part of the family. If you choose to never be part of the family, there's a seat here for you. That's why this church exists. We didn't start this church because we had nothing to do with our time. We didn't start this church because we were bored. I tell people all the time, we didn't start this church because we like hanging out together. I've had this evil plan in my head forever. I know it's wrong, but I've had this evil plan in my head forever. That if we just like hanging out, we should all get together and decide one of these smaller churches. Because here's how most churches are governed. They're governing in an unbiblical way. They're governed by the vote of the people, like it's a democracy. So I've always been like, let's find a cool building with a church running 50 people. Let's all go join that church. Vote the pastor out. And just take over. Be a whole lot easier. But we didn't start this church for that. We wanted to be a church for the city in the city. It was important for us to be in the center of our city. It was important for us to understand the heartbeat of our city. It was important for us to be a church that people knew they could come in no matter what. We didn't start this church because Cherokee County needed another church. We started this church because 72% of this community doesn't attend church. And they need to know there's a seat at the table for them. We started this church because we were just dumb enough to believe that all the bells and whistles don't draw people. That all the the shiny toys just don't draw people. 
That having the prettiest people, the most together people that really ain't together, but they're faking it on Sunday, just doesn't draw people. We just knew that it needed a place that decided, hey, here's what we're about and nothing else. We are about Jesus. And you can't be about Jesus if you're not willing to let everyone know they have a seat at the table. Because like it, love it, lump it, it don't matter. You can hate it, baby. Jesus was about all people. The Bible says this. You say, you want some Bible? Let me give you some Bible. The Bible says in John, he says, when I am lifted up, I being Jesus will draw all men unto me. You want a church growth routine? Make it about Jesus. Had this guy call me. I never take these phone calls. He tricked me. Called from a local number. It was event week. I thought it might be a vendor. Guy called me, and I don't want to say anything. He said, hey, I'm from such and such church resources. I said, oh, here we go. He said, I'd like to ask you some questions. In fact, I started asking some questions. How do you follow up a first time? I said, we don't. <laughs> How do you follow up a first time givers? I said, I don't even know who gives. We don't. He said, what is your assimilation process? I said, I don't even know what that word means. He said, how are you funneling people to your website? I said, our website has not been updated in nine years. It's just a brochure. It tells people where we meet and what time the service starts. He said, do you know that if you implemented some simple procedures that other churches are implementing, it sounds to me like you could triple your church in probably six months. I said, yeah, with a bunch of people from other churches. I said, we'll just make it about Jesus. I know I'm not against any of that stuff, and I'm not against any churches doing that stuff, but here's the deal. This ain't my full-time gig. I got, I got, I got real jobs. Y'all got real jobs. We do good to pull off Sunday morning. I don't got time to do all kinds of other stuff, because at the end of the day, I've been there. I, I was in the business of church in my past. And the business of church led me into a place that I don't like to be. And I fight not to be there now. So I definitely don't need to be back in that mindset trying to be there again. We're just going to be about Jesus. Because the Bible says when you lift the Son of Man, you will draw people to him. He will draw people to himself. The church has become about everything and anything but Jesus. Here's the deal. I'm going to upset some of you. It ain't the church's I love you. And as an individual, I believe we have responsibility, so do not miss what I'm saying. And Tuesday, I will enact that responsibility. I think the church's job to be about politics. It's our job to be about Jesus. Someone asked me one time, why don't you have an American flag in that church? Listen, I, I, I'm about pro-America as they get. I love this country. I'm actually, like, I'm a flag guy. I'm a non- I love the flag. I don't know why I think it's beautiful. I like to drive about 10 years. We drive downtown Lake, Camper World. I'm like, look at that flag. Christy's like, God, I've seen it. Because you pointed out every single time that we drive by it. I love that flag. But this place is about Jesus. Jesus didn't just die for Americans. I know that's hard to swallow. But he had a place at the table for everybody. And that's what we have to be about.
It is our job as Christ's followers, very simply, to make Jesus known. We have effed that up in every single way possible. The way you make Jesus known is you make it about Jesus. We have made it about everything and anything but Jesus. The church has made it about traditions, denominations, buildings, programs, attendance. Someone asked me, where's your church? And I said, I don't know. How do you not know? How do you not know what to do if you don't know how many people are coming? I said, I don't care. I'm doing what I do whether there's 10 or 1,000. Get up and yell at them on Sunday. We've made it about giving. I believe you ought to give. I believe it's hard to be a Christ follower without having the heart of a giver. But it's not about giving. It's not about serving. It's not about music. It's not about ministries. We've made it about everything and anything except Jesus. We need to make it about Jesus. When you make it about Jesus, you can't help but realize that the message of Jesus is real simple. We've complicated the message of Jesus. We've made the message of Jesus everything and anything but what the message of Jesus was about. Jesus did a lot of things while he was on this earth. But he had one mission and one mission only. The Bible says in Luke 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was the mission of God. Did he teach the word of God? Absolutely. Did he heal the sick? Absolutely. Did he make the blind see? Absolutely. Did he feed the hungry? Absolutely. Did he go after the religious? Absolutely. Did he disciple people? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, his mission was to seek and to save that which was lost. He said it is not the healthy that need a doctor. He didn't come for those who have it all together, which, oh, by the way, is nobody. But he came for the sick. He came for those that were hurting. He came for those that were in need of a Savior, oh, which, by the way, is everybody. He came to save that which was lost. And here's the problem we have with that. When you say everyone's welcome at the table, that means we're out there reaching those that are far from you. That means everyone. That means regardless of their skin color, they're welcome at the table. That means regardless... Of their social standing, there's a place at the table for them. That means regardless of their sexual preference, there's a seat at the table for them. That means regardless of their background, there's a seat at the table for them. That means regardless of their nationality, there's a place at the table for them. It means regardless of their past, there's a seat at the table for them. (laughs) How about this one? Regardless of their present, there's a seat at the table for them. Gary, you know what he's involved in? There's a seat at the table for him. You know what he's doing? There's a seat at the table for him. That means loving someone so much that, hey, regardless of what you choose, whether I agree or disagree, I still love you and there's a seat at the table for you. I'm ride or die with you. 
It doesn't mean if you look like me and you act like me and you shake hands like me and you dress like me and you watch the same things I do, there's a seat at the table for you. It means regardless, there's a seat at the table for you. At our house on Thanksgiving, it doesn't matter if you're a Cowboys fan or a Lions fan, there's a seat at the table for you. At our house, it doesn't matter if you're a Georgia fan. Hard to get it out sometimes. If you're a Florida fan. Now, here's the deal. Just because everyone's welcome at the table doesn't mean everybody gets the same seat at the table. <laughs> There's some corner seats over there where it ain't as comfortable. Now, you at the table. But everyone's welcome at the table. But I need you to understand, that sounds great to preach, but you'll never have that mentality until you realize it's about Jesus. Our goal in everything should be about Jesus. I don't care how it's always been done, is it about Jesus? I don't care if we agree on everything in here. Man, people have been arguing over doctrines of this thing for thousands of years. There's just some things that are, and I love to debate. But there's some things we're just never going to come to conclusions on. But it ought to be about Jesus. So the question becomes, how do we make sure that everyone knows they have a seat at the table? And how do we make it about them? Because I want to tell you something. That does sound good to preach. It sounds good to amen to. So many churches, especially the more traditional churches that have the old school signs, on every one of their signs is, everyone's welcome. I've been to a lot of them churches and didn't feel welcome. I've never been to a church where the people who attend the church will tell you, we're just not friendly. But you know why they think they're friendly? Because they show up and know everybody. Their click is there. How does the outsider feel when they walk in? I visited a church one time. I sat down. Church held about 200 people, and there was probably 30 people there. Most churches. And I sat down. And had a man tap me on the shoulder. He said, how you doing, sir? I said, I'm doing good. He says, it's your first time here. I want to be like, there's 30 people here. I lowered the average age of this church by 40 years. You know it's my first time here. I just said, yes, sir, it's my first time here. And he was nice. He said, man, we're so glad you. We don't get a lot of visitors here. I said, well, man, I'm glad to be here. He said, I, I just need to let you know that I, I can still remember the name. He said, Miss Claire's been seated in that seat for probably 30 years. Would you mind moving? I said, yeah, I'll move. I got up, and I walked out the back door, and I got in my car, and I drove off. Super friendly. But Miss Claire's a saint in the church. 
I guarantee you, Miss Claire wouldn't have cared if she walked in and saw me sitting there too, probably. She'd have sat somewhere else. But they weren't interested in someone breaking up their click on Sundays. They weren't interested in doing whatever it takes to reach people. They were more interested in the way things have always been done. And here's the problem with the way things have always been. When you do what has always been done, you'll get what you always get. And what they were getting was a church that was dying, had the flu season hit that place, they had to shut down. We got churches all over this county that are dying on the vine. But man, they're doing it the way it's always been done. But if we're going to let people know that there's always a seat at the table, that they're always welcome at the table, we've got to do some things. We've got to be intentional about that. When people come into our home, we try to be intentional about getting to know those people. That's hard because, man, I, believe it or not, I'm not a super friendly person. I know it's shocking. It's funny, one of my greatest assets at all my events is I'm super friendly because you know why I get to be friendly at my events? Hey, man, it's so good to see you. I'm glad you're here, buddy. Hey, thank you for coming. Boom. Hey, man, I can't believe you took time out of your week to come. Man, you took time out to talk to me? I took five seconds to talk to you. The problem is when you're at my table, I don't get away with five-second conversations. I'll never forget we had a person we invited to our house for Thanksgiving. Christine said, you need to go talk to him. I said, Why? She said, you invited him. No one knows him. He feels awkward. I said, I didn't invite him to talk to him. I invited him to feed him. But she was right. He was now in my home. And if I wanted him to feel welcome at my table, I needed to be intentional about some things. So what do you need to be intentional about? The first thing I want you to know is we're going to make sure everyone who walks through these doors is seen. I want you to look at that. They're seen. They're not judged. They're not looked down upon. They are seen. The problem is most people walk through a door and we see problems and don't see people. Mm. Y'all see someone walk through these doors and you know something about them and you'd rather gossip about them than welcome them. Mm. People walk through these doors and people point, you know who that is? No. Mm. Let me tell you, I don't care. I'll never forget someone walking through the doors one time and I changed his name. Someone, you said, you know who that is? I said, I don't. They looked around. That's crazy Steve. I said, who's crazy Steve? Crazy Steve owns and he named the place he owned. I said, oh, Okay. We good with him here? I said, I think so. I said, how crazy is he? Because, you know, I learned, hey, let me tell you something I learned, Pastor in Action Church. Hey, different levels of crazy now. <laughs> like, he going to shoot the place up crazy? Because even then, he's welcome. But I'm going to make sure Chip or John or somebody sitting next to him with a gun. Like, what, what kind of crazy are we talking? Is he Jerry crazy? I can deal with Jerry crazy. Like, what kind of crazy is he? He crazy Steve. Well, I was glad crazy Steve was here. But here's the problem. They saw crazy. I saw a person. 
To this day, I'm still friends with Crazy Steve when I run into him. When he sees me at something, he goes out of his way. Every time I see Crazy Steve, I'm not lying. Here, Crazy Steve has to probably be, not on his 11th girlfriend, probably his 11th wife. Every time I meet him, it's a different wife. Now, I don't know if he's really married to her. I want you to meet my wife. I'm like, didn't I just see you three months ago? That got to be his 11th wife. I ain't judging him. I'm just saying, man, like, that's crazy Steve to me. He's a person to me. There's power in seeing people and not problems. I love this verse, this story in Luke 11. It says, soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. So Jesus is moving from town to town and he has a large group of people traveling with him. So I need you to understand something. He's leading people. He's teaching people. He has the responsibility of a large group of people with him. It's easy to overlook things when you have a large group. There's times at events that I'm so busy doing stuff. Someone said, man, I saw you. I want to come and say hello, but you looked busy. So Jesus has a lot of responsibility. He says, a large one with him. As he approached the town gates, you need to remember, they would travel from city to city. There would be nothing but desert. They would get to a city. There would be walls around the city for protection. And they would go through a town gate. So as they approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. So you need to understand something. In these days when someone died, the whole town would come out for the funeral. They would come out in the evenings after everybody got off from work. They would not bury people inside the walls. They would go out to this desert area and they would bury the people. So Jesus is rolling into town with his crowd. The funeral procession is coming out with his crowd. Okay. So there's lots of people is my point. Jesus' crowd the funeral crowd, the funeral crowd's focused on the funeral crowd. Jesus is probably thinking about, I gotta get these people into town, get them somewhere to stay, get them some food to eat. I gotta find a place to teach. I gotta do all this. And a large crowd from the town was with him. And when the Lord saw her, who? The only son of the mother. The mother, the only son, excuse me. The mother whose son was dead. The mother who was a widow. Not when the Lord saw the dead body. When the Lord saw who? Her. When the the Lord saw the woman who was hurting. When the Lord saw the woman who was in pain. He did not have a conversation before this with her. He simply saw her. Because in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the crazy, he chose to slow down enough to see people as people. He saw her pain. He saw her anguish. The Bible says when he saw her... He said, don't cry. Go on and read the story. You'll see that he raised her son from the dead. Why did he raise her son from the dead? Because he saw her. I love that phrase, when he saw her. We need to see people as people, because people that come through the doors of this church are hurting. People that are going through this church, that come in the doors of this church, are going through things. You're not the only one going through things. I'm not the only one going through things. I had a pastor come in and he said, I listened to your sermon. He said, you are too honest with your people. I said, what do you mean? He goes, man, you just aired all out there. I said, they aired all out there too. I said, if I can't air it all out there to them, I don't need to be at that church. You can choose to look at and say, man, that's my pastor. He's a problem. Or you can look and say, that's my pastor. He's a person. And he was there for me when I was going through stuff and we're going to be there for him when he's going through stuff because that's what the church does. And if you're going to let people at your table, you've got to see people. If people feel like they're a burden, they're not going to come around. If people feel like they're looked down upon, they're not going to come around. If people feel unwelcome, they're not going to come around. 
I'm going to go ahead and get on to some of y'all real quick. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you how I know we don't do a really good job of seeing people. Walk in here pre-service one day. You know the only people that come in here and sit down? The new people. Because they don't know what else to do. They, feel, they don't know people, so they come and they find a seat. Y'all would rather hang out in the parking lot. Y'all would rather hang out in the lobby instead of coming in here and seeing people, introducing yourself to those people, welcoming those people, asking those people how they are. Hey, you want to hang out in the parking lot? Hang out afterwards with your friends and catch up. But let's make sure if everybody's welcome at the table, we're letting those people come through the doors know they're welcome at the table because we see them and we're glad they're here. Five people clap. That's it. You can get your feelings hurt. One thing you know about me is I don't care. I'm not mad at you. I'm just telling you if we're going to have the table open for everybody, sometimes we need to get outside of ourselves and start seeing people. It's not their job to be friendly to us. It's our job to be friendly. Did you know they say a person makes their decision if they're coming back to a church within the first three minutes of being at that church? They've never heard the music three minutes in. They've never heard the redneck preacher three minutes in. They just know had they been made feel welcome in three minutes in. Everybody's welcome at the table. But it's got to be more than a catchphrase. We've got to make some decisions. I'm guilty of it too, so I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching with you today. I need to do a better job. We need to do a better job of making sure people come through these doors and know that we see them. Hey, we're also going to make sure everyone who walks through these doors is heard. Is heard. The difference between being seen and being heard. You ever been in a relationship and you feel like the person didn't hear you? You ever had your spouse tell you, you don't hear me? Yeah. Sometimes we just don't slow down enough to listen. There's times Christine will tell me, I need you to listen to listen, I need you to listen to what I'm telling you, to hear what I'm telling you, instead of listening to respond. I hate that. But she's right. We need to let people that come through the doors and know the church, man, we hear you. Someone say, I just don't want to hear their sob story today, man. Maybe, maybe they needed you to hear their sob story today. This particular person that said to me one time, I wanted to be like, man. And I did later on. I actually called him. I said, you remember that time out in the parking lot that you were giving me your sob story? Yeah. I said, maybe you were supposed to be that person for that day, for them. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was standing, sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. The blind man did. They told him Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. There was a crowd of people. Everywhere Jesus went, there was a crowd of people. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He did what? He called out. Those who led the way rebuked him, told him to be quiet. Hush, hush. Don't bother him right now. He shouted all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped. 
Why'd he stop? Because he heard him. In the midst of the crowd, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of people telling the man to stop, Jesus heard the man. You know why he heard the man? Because he was listening. Mm. And ordered the man be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? I love that. What do you need? And then he shut up and listened. See, the problem is, you ask a question, then you answer the question. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do for other people is just shut up and listen. This thing is going to kill me today. I don't know why it is here. Just listen. Just shut up. My wife and I have had some deep discussions lately. When I shut up and listen, they go a lot better. When I talk over her, they don't go as good. When I try to justify, they don't go over as good. When I try to make excuses, they don't go over as good. You know what I've learned in those discussions? She doesn't always want an answer. She just wants me to listen. She wants me to know how she feels about a certain situation. Our instinct is to want to fix the situation. Sometimes you can't fix a situation in that moment. You simply need to listen. We need to hear people. Lord, I want to see, he said. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith is healed. Do you know why he said receive your sight? Because he heard the man say what he wanted. Immediately he received his sight and followed him, praising God when all the people saw it. They were praising God. Sometimes we need to slow our roll and just listen to people. Let me tell you what I've learned about ministry. Ministry happens in the unscheduled. I had a pastor ask me recently, he's a good dude here in town. He said, so you do this, this, and this, and all these, talking about my secular jobs that I do. He said, so you don't have set hours at the church. I said, I don't. I said, yeah, here's my set hours, I'm never there. And he looked at me and he said, how do you have time for ministry? I said, what do you mean? Because I try to keep my ministry between nine to five during the week. I said, huh? He said, between nine to five, I want to be able to go home to my family in the evenings. I said, I get that. I said, you and I just have a different definition of ministry. I said, it sounds to me like you do your job nine to five, and that's good. If they're paying you to do a job, you should do that job. I said, but man, I have just learned that ministry don't happen. Matter of fact, ministry never happens between nine to five. It's like God has a sense of humor. Like nobody can be in a car wreck between nine and five. It's three in the morning. Nobody can have a baby between nine to five. It's two in the morning I get the phone calls. Nobody can decide they're getting divorced and have a knockdown drag out with their spouse and want to call the pastor between nine and five. When's it happen? We lay down at 11 o'clock at night. Phone starts buzzing. Yeah. I need you to tell this mom. Beep, beep, beep. Put him on the phone. I'm coming. Last night we decided we're going to bed. I ain't saying this is a I'm just telling you, this is how it happens. 
Emily's little boyfriend calls and his trucks broke down on the way home. I was ready to go to bed. It's 10 o'clock. That's already past my bedtime. But I was getting wild last night. I had to justify that it was only 9 o'clock in my head. So I have to call Chad. Chad gets a record. We got to wait for the record. Blah, blah, blah. Get to our house. All that. Make sure the record. We had to do a lot of stuff. That stuff never happens between 9 and 5 when it's convenient. Ministry happens in the unscheduled. If you're planning ministry, you ain't ministering. You're doing a job. Literally last night I told her, I said, man, that must be the worst job in the world to be a tow truck driver. She said, what? I said, man, because when Chad called, he said, we got four trucks out, blah, blah, blah. I said, those guys just work all the time. Todd's here. I don't know if he's still here. Todd, Todd's anybody die at a convenient time? Todd runs Darby. They, they die at the inconvenient times. You're going to sit down on Thanksgiving and have dinner, and someone's going to get the phone call. That's how it happens. You've got to stop and listen to people. If you're going to let them at the table, you've got to see people, you've got to hear people, and I'm done and we're going home. And I do need, I'm going to sidetrack for a minute before I get to this last point. Squirrel. I owe this church an apology. Things have been off for like the last month. I get it. A lot of rumors and gossip and everything's good. I had a revelation today on what the problem was. For five years, let me tell you, six years, seven years? How long, Christine? I already gave her this theory. Five years. Every Sunday without fail, for five years, we leave church, we go eat at Buffalo's, and everything is perfect. Everything is right with the world. No drama. Give or take. Everything's smooth. A month ago, I let my group convince me they didn't want to go to Buffalo's. Bunch of sacrilegious people. We're tired of Buffalo's. Went to Taco Mac. I ain't against Taco Mac, but Taco Mac is not where you go on Sundays if you want your wheat to go right. Second week, let's go to Taco Mac. Then last week, let's go eat Mexican food. I quit going to Buffalo's and I have put this church in shambles and chaos and I apologize. We will be back at Buffalo's this week and everything will be right again. I will not be led astray by my friend group anymore. They ain't got to go eat Buffalo's, but as for me and my house, First Lamb 316, we shall eat at Buffalo's. I like to keep it real with you. That's what happened. It ain't no other reason than Buffalo. The Holy Spirit moves in me at Buffalo's. I understand it's different for other people. I'm just telling you, God works in each of our lives differently. So everything, but when you show up next week, it's going to be back to normal. Things are going to be normal. Our sound guy ain't going to be moving to Tennessee. The new sound guy ain't going to be his first Sunday. He's going to know how to run everything. Everything, it's just going to be perfect. You're going to feel it next week when you come back in. So just bear with me. So what are we going to do? We're going to see people. We're going to hear people. This is going to be hard for some of y'all. We're going to love people. 
We're going to make sure everyone who walks through these doors is loved. That's our job. It's not enough to see people. It's not enough to take time to hear people. Christ left us here for one reason and one reason only, and that is to love people. We live in a world where people simply don't feel loved anymore. We live in a world where the last place they feel loved is the church, and something's wrong with that. This ought to be the most loving place. Going through a mess, we love you. Going through the mire, we love you. Stuck in the mud, we love you. Making some bad decisions, hey, they're bad decisions, and we're going to tell you they're bad decisions, baby, but we love you. Don't, don't, don't believe like we believe, man, we love you. Don't see the world like we see it. Hey, I get it, man. I hope God moves in your life and makes you realize I'm always right, but until then, we love you. Struggling, we love you. Got hurts, we love you. Got habits, we love you. Got hangups, we love you. You are loved here. Now, don't mistake loving for not telling the truth. Don't mistake loving for not keeping someone accountable. Don't mistake loving for not getting in someone's face. I've had some people get in my face over the last month, but I knew they got in my face because they loved me. But we're going to love. Love says, I am here for you. I'm rolling with you through the muck and the mire. That pastor that calls me every Sunday morning, someone said, why do you like him? I said, here's why I like him. First of all, for 15 years, he looked at me and said, man, I love you. Whatever you do, I'm with you. And he'll tell me when he don't, don't agree. He'll tell me when he thinks I'm screwing up. But you know what I've learned? When I know someone loves me and is rolling with me through it all, it puts me in a place where I'm more than willing to listen. Because I know they're rolling with me no matter what. If they're only rolling with me, if I decide to do what they want me to do, man, I I rebel against that. It's human nature. I know my wife loves me. I am not lovable sometimes, a lot of times, most of the time. 99% of the time. Do you think I want to let that person down who loves me? No. John 15 said, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Guess how much Christ loved us? He gave his life for us. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says, The Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. The Bible says, The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, God is love. The Bible says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, blood, and love your neighbor as yourself. So we're to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And for many of us, we're our own gods, so we love ourselves a lot. He said these commands, love God, love people. We are to love people. When you love people, you can impact people. When you love people, you can pour into people. You cannot, that's the problem. We want influence without love. We want impact without love. I've had people call me recently want to speak truth to my life. Here's the deal. They probably were speaking truth. 
What they were saying was probably right. And I have been in a place where I have listened. But here's the deal. There's times when they're telling me stuff. I'm like, you don't know me. You ain't been there for me. Who are you to think you get to tell me what to do? Or who, I, I get it and I've, I've been, put my pride aside and I have listened recently. But when someone calls me and I know they love me and I know they're with me no matter what and then they come with the truth. You want to get angry. You don't want to like the truth. But when someone loves you, how can you not? They're not serving their own interests. They're they're worried about me. People got to know they're loved when they come through these doors. I had a pastor ask me one time. He said, man, I got to ask you a genuine question. I said, okay. He named an individual. He goes, this individual has told me some things you have done to him. I said, okay. He said, he has told me some things you have told him. I said, okay. He said, did you really tell him one time that he named some crazy stories? I said, yeah, probably. Sounds about right. He goes, yeah, he loves you. He said, if I said those things to him, We'd be having a fist fight in the front. He said, how do you get away with that? And I looked at him and I said, because I love him. He knows I love him. I've pulled him out of a crack house before. I've been there in the muck and the mire with him. I didn't pull him out of the muck. I got in the muck with him and pulled him out. He knows I'm ride or die with him. I don't get to be ride or die with him if I don't get to speak truth to him. He might not like what I have to say, but it comes from a place of love. Listen, this is always going to be a table here. And I need you to understand something. And if you have a problem with this, that's fine. I'm not mad at you. We're not the church for you, though. Everyone is welcome at this table. Everyone. I've had people come to me and be like, would you allow so-and-so to come here to what they've done? I said, man, that'd be hard. But I'd have to get over it. Because everyone's welcome at the table. If I'm welcome at the table, boy, anybody ought to be welcome at the table. You've got to see people. You've got to hear people. And you've got to love people. In order for everybody to be welcome at the table... The work is not on the people coming to the table. The work is on us making the seats available at the table. It's our responsibility. You can say you're friendly all day long. If you ain't friendly, you ain't friendly. You can have a table for 16 people all day long, but if people don't feel welcome at the table, it'll just be you and your spouse at the table and the other 14 seats will be empty. There's work in being the church. We're spoiled here at this church. We gather together on Sunday... We worship, get yelled at, hug each other's necks, and we go into our week and we serve our community. We don't do thousands of things other churches have done so we can get spoiled around here. It's pretty easy. But we need to make sure the things that we do we're being intentional about. And I want us bringing people into this place. Imagine if everybody here brought one person next week. One person. You mean to tell me you can't get one person to church next week? That doesn't go to church anywhere else. But here's the deal. If you did bring someone to church next week, 
wouldn't you want to make sure when they walked through those doors they felt welcome? So remember that when other people are bringing their people, make sure you're making them feel welcome. See them, hear them, love them, let's pray.